This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&As. It's Thursday morning, and I'm going to try to get through every question, but I have been crazy sick all week. Uh, I actually ended up recording the podcast Monday afternoon, late Monday afternoon, because I thought I was going to spend Tuesday doing some live streams and catching up on some other work. And then I figured maybe if another post came in, I would just edit it and re-upload it or something like that. But I'm really lucky I did because I finished it all. I got it uploaded and scheduled. And then like 15 minutes afterwards, it felt like I got hit in the head with a brick. I have never puked that hard in my life. It was like a good 10 seconds that went by that I was like, Am I dying? It was, it was horrible. I basically couldn't even get out of bed on Tuesday. I was lucky that last post was already ready to go. I was just waiting for it to come in stock. So I was able to get that out there for people. But holy crap, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. I might wish it on Bitfunks. They probably deserve this, but not really anybody else. This is awful. So uh, I am feeling all right enough. So let's see what I could do. But if these things get cut short, no disrespect, men, I'll catch back up with it next week. But let's see what we could do. First up over on Floatplane, Mike is looking at Extron cross points and is getting a bit confused on how they would need to hook up sync because there are switches for 75 and 510 ohm sync. And this is going to be going into a CRT and a retro tank. So please, anybody correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not exactly firing on all cylinders today, but I'm pretty sure you just flip all the switches to 75 ohm, input the sync at, just like you normally would to the H-sync line. It's going to require clean sync. It's one of the only device, Extron devices usually do, but um, it's one of the few types of devices that require clean sync. So you can't use sync on Luma or sync on composite, but uh, you could use C-Sync or run through a sync stripper if you're using a PlayStation. Uh, and then on the output side, you're probably going to want a BNC to SCART cable that has a four, 470 ohm resistor on the SCART pin. And that's going to, on the SCART pin, on the sync pin in the SCART head. Uh, so that's going to drop the voltage down to a safe level for any kind of SCART device. Now, you said going into a CRT, if you actually meant like a VGA monitor or some kind of PVM that has BNC inputs, you probably don't need to do that. Double check the spec sheet to make sure that it could handle the higher voltage sync, but it should be totally fine to do. Uh, but if you're worried or if it's got a SCART input of any kind, definitely, definitely use one of those BNC to SCART cables that has the resistor in it. The only, um, the only time that you wouldn't really need something like that is if you were going into the VGA input of the RetroTank 4K. Uh, or the VGA input of the OSSC. Both of those, you would just need a basic BNC to VGA cable. 
but you know when in doubt if you add if you have that cable with the resistor on the sync line the worst thing that could happen is you don't get any sync which doesn't really do any damage you just turn everything off then probably remove the resistor or put a lower one in there and see what happens but i always like to err on the side of caution with stuff like that so i would just start with those and it should be totally fine with your setup Next, Oman said they acquired a PVM9L2 a while ago and want to take it to the next level via RGB. They're going to install a BKM129X from Retro Upgrades, and they know the card doesn't support composite, but then I thought maybe daisy-chaining the sync output port on the card over to the composite input on the PVM would work. Then they'd only need to run a single SCART SCART to BNC from their G-SCART, making everything neater. Would that work? Um... It should. So I think you're talking about the scenario in which you're running a bunch of consoles with composite video as sync. So you could use your SCART cable either as a composite cable or an RGB cable. And if that's what you're talking about, then it should work. I think it would be safe to try out because you're daisy chaining it using the type of circuit that's designed to daisy chain. So that would be fine. It's not like you're adding a Y circuit that's not designed for that. So you should be totally cool there. But I just want to remind you, and I'm I'm sure you already know this, but if you're using a sync on Luma or just a C-Sync cable, you can't get composite video from that. You would get nothing. I don't think it would hurt the monitor. So if you accidentally turn on a console that was using a C-Sync cable instead of a composite video cable, you probably would just get a bunch of wiggly stuff on the screen, but not a picture. But that wouldn't damage anything. So I would give that a try. I think it's totally worth a shot. And, um, you know, worst that could happen is you don't get composite video through the output. Uh, but it sounds like, oh, and also on the G-SCART, turn off any kind of sync stripping. Uh, that would obviously remove composite video and then you wouldn't be able to see it. But yeah, give that a try. That should work fine. Next up, Dom 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 wanted to chime in on the conversation from last week about shielded soundbars and they found a link to one from MediaTek that was listed as fully shielded. So I'll drop a link in the description, obviously, for anybody that was interested. But that's very cool. So if somebody was looking for a soundbar, you know, maybe that's even something that you could sit on top of your PVM or PVM if you don't have room for some shielded speakers. Or maybe if you get one at a decent price, it'll save you money over getting some shielded bookshelf speakers and an amp. Uh, It's certainly going to be an upgrade over the PVM speakers, so that's kind of neat. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate that. Now over on Patreon, Mr. Morrow was also looking at to connect all of their consoles through an Extron crosspoint and realized you can't use a sync on Luma cable. So they're wondering where they could get a Sega Saturn cable that syncs on C-Sync. Um, the links on RetroRGB.com are almost always going to be pointing you to the right place. The only time they wouldn't be is if something's out of stock. I think that's probably the issue now. So I'll link directly to the Insurrection Industries website. Theirs should be fine. The only scenario that you wouldn't want to do that is with a PAL Sega Saturn. You would actually need to get something like a Syncon Luma with a Sync Stripper or something like that in there. Um, but for NTSC, including the Japanese ones, that's all you should need. So uh, link would be in the description. And luckily, that's a pretty easy one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Next up, Tony Escobar finally heard back from Analog, who updated their FAQ page to list out the pinout for the original Analog NT. And it looks like RGB are on pins 1, 2, 3, and then composite videos on pin 12. So if you're looking to get composite out, you would want pin 12 plus any one of the grounds, uh, and that should do it all for you. But it looks like there's pins for RGB, YPVPR, uh, composite video, C-Sync, and then Chroma and Luma. So you really are uh, getting every single output from there. So you would just need to build yourself a custom cable that could do that. There are also VGA... Um, uh, VGA blocks that you can get where you plug your VGA cable into it and it's like the, the screw down terminals on the side. So that's kind of a bulky way to do it. But if you were looking to, to test it, at least one of those isn't too expensive. Um, you could probably contact a custom cable manufacturer to have it made. But either way, at least you kind of know uh, you know, at least you kind of know what this is now, at least you know where to start. And if there's a market for this, maybe a modder would want to do a breakout box that's analog NT only. Uh, they would have to write all over the PCB only for use with the analog's original NT because you wouldn't want to mix this in with any other VGA source. But yeah, I'm glad they finally got back to you and at least you definitely know where to start for making a cable. Next up, Steve Wells is looking at taking an early Model 1 Genesis, the ones without the TMSS, to try to get the best possible mods done to it. They want to get the best AV quality, they want region mods, and the goal is out via SCART. However, there's one question I need before I could answer this properly. Are you going from SCART to a scaler to a flat panel, or are you going from SCART to a CRT? If you're going to a flat panel, you might want to hold off and see how Stanislav's mod does. That's the one I just talked about. I bought one. It's coming. It should do all of those things. Plus, it could get you a really clean video output. And if you're going to a flat panel, that should be the solution for you because it's one mod that would do everything that you need. The only other thing you might want to consider is doing some kind of cap replacement just to make sure that the audio quality is still top uh, tip top and that you make sure that the, the console lasts as long as possible. Or if you were looking for dual uh, HDMI and analog out, that would work as well. Now, if you were going out uh, to a CRT, then the only other question I would really need is, do you already have cables that are perfect? You're just looking to upgrade the signal or do you not have anything yet? Because installing the triple bypass would remove uh, the RF jack and get you a Genesis 2 DIN, which essentially turns the back port into a Genesis 2. So it makes cabling a lot easier and nothing's coming from around the front. So I would definitely do that if you were looking to simplify cabling, as well as bypassing all of the onboard stuff. Now the onboard audio circuit for Model 1 Genesis, with the exception of one revision, is awesome. It's going to sound great no matter what. However, you're talking about 30 plus year old consoles. So whenever you're able to have the same performance with newer stuff, you could extend the life to it. That's up to you. That's debatable. That's not so much of a fact as it is, you know, you're going to have to make your own decision. But the triple bypass was meant to bypass the audio, video, and DIN, hence the three. So if you were looking to do all of that, yes. If everything is already cabled right, and you don't need to worry about anything else, you might want to also look into the uh, subcarrier bypass because that will get you a lot of upgraded signal from your RGB, but it retains composite video. So if you're going to a CRT, you could always switch to, uh, like what if you have a really awesome 13-inch PVM, but someday you pick up a giant, beautiful 32-inch TV that only has composite video inputs? 
then great. Now you could retain that without disabling it. Uh, but if you know for a fact that you don't need composite ever again, then maybe just getting Voltars mod and using your existing cabling would work. So I know it's getting confusing because there's just a lot of choices and a lot of weird stuff when it comes to Model 1 Genesis consoles, but hopefully I can at least point you in the right direction and ask any questions to help me point you further if you'd like. Next up, Justin Wilson wants to know if BFI added from a scaler has any positive effect on an LCD. Yes, but not as drastic of an effect as an OLED, but it has to be a minimum of a 120 hertz panel. So the way BFI works, black frame insertion, it takes a 60 hertz signal and inserts a black 60 hertz frame, so just completely blank frame next to it, and sends that to the panel as one single 120 hertz frame. And by doing that, what that ends up happening is it draws your full 60 hertz frame, then blacks out the whole image, then draws the next frame, and so on and so on. So on an OLED, which has amazing black levels, you reduce tons of motion blur in a very similar way to a CRT, because a CRT draws one line at a time, left to right. So essentially, each frame is being blacked out. Actually, each line, because after, after the line is drawn, your persistence of vision keeps it in front of you, but the screen itself is blacked out. So that's how you get CRT-like motion, motion blur or reduced motion blur. Now, when you do that on an LCD, um, it's going to depend on the panel. So this gaming panel I have right here, this gaming monitor, BFI looks good. It doesn't look nearly as good as the OLED TV that I have, but it's definitely worth messing around with, especially with retro stuff. However, that Vizio TV that I just tested, the BFI was fine. And once again, another completely different display, the DLP projector I use, BFI on old movies, really looks amazing. It makes film grain look like film grain, not just digital distortion. But I'm not sure I would use it on modern content, at least on that projector. So basically, yes, BFI is always something that's worth testing out if you have the ability to, but it will only work on 120 hertz panels, and you should only expect the the performance that we all gush over on OLED TVs. So hopefully that made sense. And, uh, you know, welcome, welcome to the Q and A's. Uh, glad you're able to ask a question. Thanks for the support. Next up, Scott Davis wanted to follow up on the question from last week about what would happen if you put a RetroTINK 5X's 1440p signal into a 5K Samsung display. And they emailed Samsung and they said it's not compatible with a 1440p signal, which is a little weird. I thought that it, I assumed that it would have been, but when it comes down to 5K displays, it all is going to come down to how the display scales the image. Is there the ability for a sharp scale without ringing? Is there any kind of weird interpolation going on? So while it's certainly a neat thing to, to mess with, um, you know, Scott said their work provided them with an iMac Pro with a 5K display. So, you know, what if you were able to turn that into a monitor, especially if you're able to get it for free or something like that, or, you know, for your job or whatever. But my answer to this is going to always be the same in that until we get a 5K scaler, which is not going to happen anytime soon, what you're really going to worry about is how that panel scales whatever signal you give it. It's the same as TVs or other monitors. And what I've seen in many cases is PC monitors do terrible job upscaling. Not all, just kind of what I've seemed to have found where TVs do an okay job. You know, not the best, but certainly not as bad as a lot of the, the monitors that I see. You know, just the, the basic PC monitors. But, you know... <clears throat> 
I have seen the other ones like that Arcuda one, that sharp scale it does. It's not a retro tink, but it's way better than any other computer monitor I've used by turning the sharpness up. So you never know. But that was certainly an interesting an interesting topic to entertain. And who knows, maybe something will uh, be released someday that'll do an integer scale of 1440p and it'll be a neat way to, to hook up your retro consoles. Next up, John Strom is interested in downscaling an HDMI source like their MacBook to their PVM14L2. They're not worried about input latency, and they would like to use the S-Video port. So you just nailed the two most important things I needed to know from you. First and foremost, by far, do you need to worry about latency? Is this for gaming, or is this just for a neat secondary display, some experimentation? What if you're playing turn-by-turn role-playing games where latency isn't an issue? And S-Video is the other thing. So uh, that's very easy. I'll leave a link to a post I did about it. I did a live stream with Lewis testing a bunch of equipment. However, very lucky answer to your question is you buy a cheap device off of Amazon and it'll probably work. You're going to want to mess with different output resolutions. So I would try starting to see if your MacBook could output 480p, but if not, you know, 800 by 600 or, or even try... TV resolutions like 1280 by 720. Try to get a four by three resolution so it matches up, but that's the easiest thing. If you just want to do that for experimentation, start with that. I think it's like 25 bucks or something like that. And then just go from there. And if you're just having some fun messing around or if it accomplishes what you need, you're done. And if not, if you're a crazy person like me and you want to go down the rabbit hole, that same post would lead you through what you need to do. But good question. And luckily that's an easy answer. Next up, Marco Retro has been working on a series of videos for different 240p downscaling methods, and they're wrapping up on the Extron RGB interface DDSP trick. They're a little stumped that so far it's only worked on a BVM20F1, but not for any other display they've tested, including a 20L5. They're just trying to get some clarity why the BVM would interpret the signal offset to draw the single fields, yet the six other CRTs they've tried just display 480i. They've tried two different 580xi's, and they've simultaneously outputted to the BVM and another monitor, but it only works exclusively on the 20F1. Interested in any ideas I might have? Uh, I have no idea why, but I've had the same exact results, which is why I never talk about using the DDSP trick. Um, it just doesn't work. I mean, you stumbled across one of the very few use cases. I remember like 10 years ago, there was some blowhard on a forum that was making fun of everybody for, you know, oh, why would you go through all those other methods when all you need is this? It works perfect on my one monitor that I've been testing it on. <laughs> With zero use case of nothing else. And it's like, I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of the person that was making fun of other people with their test case of one. But uh, yeah, so that's exactly, I would leave that out of your video altogether. Or if you wanted to mention it, I would just tell everybody this does not work. You might get lucky if you already have one, a 580XI, and you just want to see what happens, go for it. But I definitely would not ever recommend that as something to buy because it's just, almost never going to work um, to the point where usually I would go on a whole description of what this is, what it's doing, why. And I just, I don't want to waste anybody's time. I think I would uh, respectfully rather just watch your video and watch all the other methods that you've come up with. And hopefully you'll tell people the same, like just, this doesn't work. If you already own something an Extron RGB interface with the DDSP, you could try it, but expect nothing because it's probably what you're going to get. 
Next up, Hades Hot Gun and Soaps said they have kind of a follow-up from a few weeks ago. They had asked about whether or not an RF-only CRT was worth grabbing, even for free. As luck would have it, their boss was also looking to get rid of a 13-inch JVC TV with composite hookups, so they got that instead. The only thing is, it has a mono speaker. So now they're curious if I have any advice about getting decent sound from a PS2, and if there are any concerns they should have about external speakers around a CRT. So there's a few things. Um, first of all, this is the scenario in which you can safely use a Y cable. So you could take the stereo out of your PlayStation 2, put it into just a basic RCA Y cable, and then put the other into the mono input. And that is completely and totally safe to do. Yes, there's a potential for some ground hum and some other stuff, but really, there's no safety issues whatsoever. Period. End of story. We proved this a few years ago. There was some discrepancy about that. However... Um, if you're talking about getting stereo speakers around it, that's when you're going to run into the magnetically shielded issue. And I did a whole video about this, so I'll leave that uh, linked here. Don't want to waste anybody's time who's already watched that and uh, heard me talk about it forever. So no disrespect to you. I just figured I spent a lot of time making that video. It's probably easier than me just word vomiting over your question here. Uh, the only thing that I will add, though, is the PS2 has the optical audio output. So if you did have a stereo that you wanted to hook up, you might be able to just use that and get some really clean audio. But if not, and you're on a budget, just shielded PC speakers should be a, a very easy thing and cheap thing to find. And most won't suck. You're probably not going to get audiophile performance out of them, but they're as long as you get a decent set, it should be fine. But I'll leave a link to both of those things for your reference. Next up, Dustin Madison wants to know, since I lived in New York City for a while, have I ever had any encounters with any of the seedier groups or criminal scenes? And even though New York City is much safer than it was 30 years ago in the days of when they made the Death Wish movies, um, they wondered if I could recommend places that non-locals just steer clear of. I would actually recommend the opposite. I would recommend just sticking to touristy areas unless you're with people who know the city or live there and know where to go. Because it's just so much easier to say, go to Rockefeller Center, go to Times Square, you know, go down to Video Games New York, go to Brooklyn Video Games, and just kind of stick on that path. Don't walk around at 3 o'clock in the morning by yourself. I mean, the basic stuff, right? And it's, it's New York City, so you're going to have people coming up to you trying to sell you something, trying to beg for money. you got to just walk with a purpose ignore everything and just do what you're there to do, then you should be totally fine. But it is kind of funny because, uh, you know, one of the one of the reminders of this is I was having a conversation with a friend of mine once about where I lived and how he used to work right by there. And he's like, yeah, man, one of the worst projects in Manhattan's right there. I was like, what are you talking about? My neighborhood's not bad at all. I mean, we do have a wizard and a pimp, but like, it's generally pretty safe to walk around. And he's like, no, 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 not your neighborhood two blocks away or three blocks away. And I was just laughing because that's basically New York for you. You could go down a beautiful street with apartments that are higher rent, a studio apartment with a higher rent than my mortgage right now. <laughs> and, uh, but you walk two blocks down the street and you might get robbed. And, but that other two blocks, you're usually perfectly safe. And that's just the best way to describe it. It's weird. I, uh, but I generally didn't really have any problems. The funny thing is, a couple of years ago, somebody I had just met told me that I had the face of somebody who looked like I would be approached for pyramid schemes. And I burst out laughing. And before I could finish laughing, they interrupted and they were like, 
I don't mean that you're the type of person to fall for it. You just have that face of somebody that, you know, you would approach for something like that. And I kind of started laughing because I was just like, yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of homeless people and a lot of people begging for money do come directly up to me. But then once I once I square off and start talking, they usually leave me alone pretty quickly. But I was just firm. I wasn't a douche. I wasn't crazy. I was just no. I just kept walking. They were like, oh, okay, not the answer I expected. But I did also kind of spend many years of my life in a pretty bad neighborhood. I lived every summer with my grandparents in Bridgeport, and then I actually lived there for a little while. So this is nothing new to me. This was certainly nothing I hadn't encountered. So maybe that's just the, uh, maybe that's just in the back of my head. And so it doesn't, that's why it never bothered me as much because you, know, you just kind of get used to it, especially living in New York City. And you also get to, as weird as this is, you get to know the regular homeless people and you get to know the new ones and you get to know who's who. And there's always the ones that just want to be left alone. They're on the side of the road. They have their sign. If you give them something cool, if you don't, fine. They don't bother anybody. And as odd as this is to say, this is kind of their thing. That's what they want to do. Just leave them alone. There are the crazies. They're always looking for trouble. And those are the ones you avoid. And the new people are the ones you're always going to be wary of. Why are they here? Did they just get out of someplace? Did they just escape from someplace? So that's not something a visitor to New York would be able to pick up on only in your own neighborhoods. But so if you're visiting, just stick to the touristy sections. Expect so many people to just come up and try to sell you stuff. Just keep walking. You'll be fine. And um, yeah, no, it's a fun question to answer because there's definitely some weird stories. The one other thing I will definitely say, because I've always laughed at this one. After I moved to the city, I told a couple of friends from Connecticut who had really never spent a lot of time in cities or in even bad neighborhoods, some of the stories. And they would look at me with that look like, you're full of shit. And I would tell these stories to people who grew up in the city. And I'd be like, I swear I'm telling the truth. And they'd be like, we know we have a pimp and a wizard on our street. And it's not a big, you know, and one of them was a guy who would always wheel up in a wheelchair who could definitely walk. I've seen him walking before, but he would wheel himself up and he would wait for the light to turn green. And he would wheel his wheelchair in the middle of the road. And I, he did it for fun. He thought it was fun to almost cause accidents. And then you'd see him like kicking his feet to pedal back. And once or twice I saw him get up out of it because he was like the chair got stuck. But that was his thing. He just liked trying to cause accidents in intersections. And I'm telling the story. Uh, I believe it was Art Arturo was sitting with me at a, at a bar eating a burger. And I was like, I swear I'm not lying about this. You're going to see him one of these days. And he's like, dude, I have like three of those in my neighborhood. I know. And we walked out of the bar and the guy's wheeling across the street as soon as the light turned green. I was like, I fucking told you. And he's like, I told you. I know. I never I never didn't believe you. So I have a million stories like that where if you'd never grew up in anything like that, it would be a little shocking. And you might think I was just making it up. I don't know why I would make something like that up. But anybody who's lived in, in big cities or kind of more of the seedier places have all are nodding their head right now. Like, yeah, I know. We got a couple of those too. It's weird. No one knows what to do. Cops can't really do anything. It sucks if people ever get in accidents. But yeah, I, I loved living in the city. If I were rich, I would have never left. I might have gotten like a little place in the country to go back to and hide every once in a while. But yeah, if I ever if I ever hit the big one and won the lottery, I would absolutely mostly live in New York. I don't know why. It just it felt like felt like my place to live. Next up, Jason Guffey has a desktop speaker that's blown out, but the utility of it in their setup means they can't just swap it out for a new set of speakers. 
Since I'm an audio guy, they figured I'd ask, how important is it to match things like wattage, impedance, size, etc. when replacing a speaker? Can I give you the Cliff Notes version of what the differences are between speakers, woofers, tweeters? Uh, so woofers and tweeters are all types of speakers. It is good to get almost an exact match, if possible, to the original. There are certain scenarios in which, kind of like when you have a capacitor that's rated at 12 volts, you could definitely replace it with a 16-volt cap, but not a 10-volt. There's certain scenarios like that, but it's really best if you could just try to find the exact same specs. And generally speaking, if you have a desktop PC speaker or a bookshelf speaker that's blown out, it's not going to be some crazy one-off reinvent the wheel. It's going to be something that's made similar to other stuff. So if you crack that open, it should be writing on it, you know, four ohm, five ohm, how many watts and stuff like that. And you should just kind of match it up to it. Uh, if it's a desktop speaker, meaning like desktop PC speakers, it's probably going to be a full range speaker. It might have a full range speaker with a little tweeter on top. Um, tweeters are just ones that concentrate on the higher frequencies. So I would just basically try to get the exact same thing. You can get ones that accept higher wattage, but then there's um, that's kind of a rabbit hole where it's not going to hurt anything, but I would just start by saying, try to get the exact one. And if not, then come back and we could try to figure it out. So that was definitely the short, short version, skipping over all of the details. But I wanted to make that point just because I've run into that situation before. And I thought, okay, well, how am I going to find this? And I just did a search for the exact spec and size of speaker and like 20 of them came up. So I think you could probably get lucky with that. So start there and then we'll revisit next week when my head doesn't feel like I get hit with a brick. Well, that's it for this week. I can't believe I was able to stay standing this long. I gotta give myself props for this one. So I'm going to go pass out. Uh, if you see a guest, uh, a guest host next week on the weekly roundup, you know why, but whew. And if I figure out whatever the heck happened to me, I'll let everybody know. But I'm still I'm still here so far. 